Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, titled Connecting to Community with Fifth Third Bank, we are joined by Valerie Garrett, Director of Workplace Design for Fifth Third Bank, and Chris Collett, a Senior Architect for Workplace at BHDP. Through the lens of Fifth Third's Project Connect, Valerie and Chris explore the complexities of designing with not only your employees in mind, but also the community as a whole. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. Welcome back, Valerie. Would you let us know who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Valerie Garrett. I am the design director at Fifth Third Bank. I am responsible for the fit, finish, and function of our entire real estate footprint. So that includes branches and office spaces and also the spaces where we serve our wealth and asset management clients. Fit, finish, and function. So if your job description has an alliteration, do you get paid more? Is that <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> oh, man, because I was going to start working on that. And joining yeah. us from BHDP for the first time, welcome, Chris. Who are you? Thank you. you? Thank you. So my name is Chris Collett. I am the Client Relationship Manager for the Fifth Third account at BHDP. And specifically for the Forum Project and Project Connect, I was the, and am still, the lead architect. So really design oversight, project management, and relationship management from the BHDP point of view. So the relationship management and lead architect, that's, that's so correct. you're that's deeply correct. embedded in the project. Yes. Both feet in the water, yes. <laughs> Very good. So we're going to talk about Project Connect, and I want to start off by saying I know Fifth Third Bank, for those who may not know, has had a presence in Cincinnati, specifically on Fountain Square, right downtown in the heart of Cincinnati for a long time. How long have you been there? So Amy Purcell is our corporate storyteller, and she could tell this much better than I, but we have been there since the 1950s. Our tall tower building was built in the 50s on what was then known as Block A, and Block A became kind of the nucleus, if you want to think of it, for the development of downtown as it radiated out. That became a financial, sort of a financial district and then became Fountain Square, one of America's great living rooms. So we've been there since the 50s. We have a strong commitment to our hometowns of Cincinnati and, and are happy to be there. Good. So the project is called Project Connect? Correct. Okay. Where did this name come from? What is Project Connect? So Project Connect really started with a realization that we did not have a legible front door. For any folks who had visited us prior to this project starting, you would probably hear anecdotes about how I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what entrance to go in. I ended up in the branch. So you have this tall tower that says Fifth Third Center on it. And then you have this low building, which has our branch in it. And that says Fifth Third Bank. So very unintuitive in terms of where do I go to actually meet somebody? Where is the actual corporate entry? Project Connect began with that realization that we really needed a legible entry experience for people. We essentially had no front door. If you think about what your front door is to your home, it's the place where you open your door and you invite people into your personal space. There is an intimacy to that invitation 
So it really was us wanting to create a front door experience where we could invite in our community, our vendor partners, our employees into our house, our personal space. What Project Connect does, and the, re the reason that it's called Project Connect, there's a physical component in that it's unifying our buildings and unifying them means it's creating really a campus experience that's stronger than what we've had in the past in our physical location. But it also, because of our proximity to Fountain Square, gives us a really strong connection to our community. So our ability to see from our space out out of the square and vice versa is really powerful for us. Thank you for that. So the next question goes to Chris. When did you get involved in the project? I know we're going off script here, but it's like, uh, how early were you involved in Project Connect? We personally have been involved in the project I would say very shortly after its inception from an idea perspective of the bank. We started working on this in December of 2017. So in it on the ground floor with our team, we, we worked collaboratively with Valerie, her team, with Valerie's leadership to establish the design drivers for the project to understand what the need was and to try to take that vision and make it into something, you know, very conceptual, but very, very dramatic from a change perspective as as it relates to how Fifth Third was perceived from Fountain Square. We've kind of been there side by side all along. It was the beginning of our working relationship with Fifth Third. So it's, it's interesting how it's kind of a cross-section of our relationship. It was the first thing we've done and we're still doing it here about three years later. It's really been exciting to see how it's developed, not only from a project perspective, but as a relationship with the third has developed and enhanced and, and reached the level that it is today. Chris, one of the things you mentioned were design drivers. I've got the list right here, so I've got a cheat sheet. Do you know what the design drivers were? You know, uh, I wish that I had pulled my <laughs> cheat sheet out because uh, I know I just handed them off to you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do my best to recite them from memory here. One was the fifth third experience, right? We wanted this project to embody what Fifth Third was in its soul and, and what it meant to certainly the Cincinnati community, but to their community at large. So clarity of entry, Valerie had touched on that, how creating a sense of place as it relates to circulation was something that was so vital to this project because it was just so, for the lack of a better word, disorganized, right? There were just so many ways to access their campus. And in some ways you weren't sure where their campus began and where it ended. So that was something that was very key to our design solution helping not only the public understand maybe where they're not supposed to be, but helping employees and visitors to the bank understand where they are supposed to be. You nailed Fifth Third Experience was the first. The other one was connectedness, um, community and internal. Uh, Got it. Legible, so that was clarity of entry. And then right. I have impactful and welcoming. Right. So I was going to get to all those. It just was a little bit out of order, right? So, <laughs> yeah. You um, did great. As it relates to all of those things, I think one thing that's been very vital to our creative process here is that acting with humility, right? We understand that there is a sensitivity to what we are doing from a visual, from a physical, and from an experiential perspective as it relates to Fifth Third's presence on Fountain Square. Not only were we trying to create this striking architectural gesture that unifies the massing of a tall tower, a low tower, in this weird breezeway space in between, but we wanted to do it in a sensitive way that wasn't overpowering in a sense that it becomes all of a sudden, is this Fifth Third Square with a fountain on it? No, it's Fountain Square with Fifth Third on it. You know, all of those things when it comes to welcoming, impactful, those are things that we did very much in balance. And, and it was critical with those design drivers to say, look, are we fulfilling 
the intent of what we had set on initially. And I think we've done really well to use those tools, looking back on whether it was a formal design decision or whether it was a value engineering decision, we always went back to that list and it was like, look, you know, we're going to spend maybe more on this architectural glass facade than we would on a typical project, but it's so vital to what we're trying to accomplish on Fountain Square for Fifth Third that we have to value it more than maybe we're valuing other things in the process. It's been influential in every decision I think that we've made for the betterment of the project. So it sounds like those design drivers became kind of the compass for even decision-making tool. It's interesting because impactful and welcoming, those could be diametrically opposed, you know, because some impactful could be overwhelming. (laughs) Right. So Valerie, Chris said that, you know, he nailed it and that you guys did a good job. I wanted to know, one, where did the design drivers come from? And in your mind, have you checked all the boxes? So, so the project actually is not open. We're oh, in the okay. midst of construction right now. So the forum is open, but Project Connect is not. Um, I think we are checking the boxes, though, Brian. When I think about things like legible and connected, those were natural outpourings of the whole purpose of the project. To create a legible entry that made sense to people, that was intuitive, that people could navigate. And we don't ever want to do anything that disconnects us either internally or with our community. So those are kind of natural ones. Welcoming, I think there's a part of that that legibility sort of naturally creates. If you can find something, it's much easier to feel welcomed. But also for us to create a space as we unify these buildings that people can enter into and gather and meet and move through in a really positive way, in a way that they have a positive experience. And so that speaks to welcome. And then impactful and the Fifth Third experience, we really wanted to create an environment that as you experience it, you know it is uniquely Fifth Third. That's way more than brand colors. Blue and green does not brand a space. It's really about that space sort of living and breathing who you are and what you're about. We want people to feel that in a really wonderful way. I think we are checking those boxes as we go. And you're right in that when you establish those things, it really helps because it does create a lens for decision making. You can look at two elements and say, okay, which of these has more impact or maybe not more impact, but the kind of impact we want it to have. And that becomes a helpful grid for eliminating some things and accepting other things. If you balance impactful and welcoming, I mean, you're talking about an experience. It's memorable, but they know that they're supposed to be there. One of the things that I've noticed, so this going off track here a little bit, one of the Fountain Square's main features is the Tyler Davidson Fountain. And if you've ever watched the introduction to WKRP in Cincinnati, if you're listening, you know what the Tyler Davidson Fountain is. And I know that that's been moved, but I went through downtown a few weeks ago. The other thing that I noticed is the fifth third stage had moved. Is that part of this or is that a separate entity altogether? That became part of this. One of the things that we had to navigate, and this goes back to something that Chris talked a little bit about, which is approaching this with some humility. Our property line actually extends out into the square further than most people realize. One, because it's public space. It's, it's a public experience when you're on a square. And then two, of course, because you know people's property lines aren't just marked out all over the place. So you're not going to realize where they land. And we really used what I feel is appropriate restraint to say, we're not going to go all the way out to our property line because we want to do this in the right way. And that means adding 
to the experience and not taking away from the public space. There's a part of the project that extends further than the buildings did previously, but we were very conscious of that. And then the stage became a part of the project because as we designed the project and taking up a little more of our property than we had taken in the past with architecture, we needed to tear up the square a little bit. And there's a portion of the square, and Chris can speak to this in more detail, that, that's being reworked to accommodate some of what we're doing and really to create a better experience. It's an underutilized portion of the square where there's kind of some, it's not a great word, but some hiddenness <laughs> that isn't a great experience for the public. And so in doing that and in working with the city, anytime you do a project like this, you have a lot of engagement with your city, which is a good thing. We decided to gift the city a permanent stage. On the other side of the square, then where the permanent stage now is, was a temporary stage. And part of this project became in what we need to do to the square, we could also not only enhance this underutilized area of the square, but we could make it something really wonderful by constructing a permanent stage. And that's what we did. And Chris, anything you would add about that portion of the square that, that we are touching? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's an important point that with the transformation of sort of the fifth third front door and how the, the building now engages with the public space, I think that we saw an opportunity with some underutilized and some questionable locations. So the breezeway that connected Walnut Street to the square, we've been closed at it. So now a bright, beautiful interior space uh, that the public can still access, as well as kind of that eastern, you know, it was a tree grove, it was a series of steps. It really wasn't good for anything other than backstage, you know, function for the, the ice rink and for any number of events that might have been taking place. So while maybe the footprint of Fifth Third has expanded, ultimately, the footprint of the square has expanded as much, if not more, because we've, we've capitalized on some underutilized space and, and put it to work. In addition to really dressing up and improving that experience, that Fifth Street experience coming down and approaching Fountain Square, you can see the fountain again because the stage is gone. And I think that's really, really an important aspect of, of what we've accomplished with moving the stage is kind of moving it to the side, freeing up all the sight lines, and the fountain is front and center from a pretty vital vantage point. I was struck by that as well, because that was the thing that I missed when it got moved, was seeing it as you were driving through. But now it's like, oh, hey, there right. it is again. What Chris shared, Brian, is such a win. I mean, just such a win. We wanted to create something that was great for the bank and great for the community. And this idea that we've improved the square, I mean, the square is already an iconic part of Cincinnati. And there are certain things that people participate in on the square throughout the year, like ice skating is the classic one around Christmas and, and different musical events that happen through the summer. And I mean, there's a lot that goes on in the square. So already it's a draw, but to reimagine a portion of the square to make that better as part of this project is such a win. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I wanted to ask about, though, Valerie, you alluded to extensive community engagement. Tell me more about how you engaged with the community or even the city of Cincinnati. What does that look like and why was it important? Pragmatically speaking, Chris could attest to this. Many touch points with the city, just helping to explain what we're trying to achieve walking them through it, making sure that they feel good about what we're doing, answering any questions that they have. 
again, with the square being public space and the city and others helping to manage that space, what does that mean for circulation? What does it mean for signage? I mean, there are a lot of questions that a city, city leaders and civic leaders might ask and want to understand. So there's that really pragmatic piece. The other part of it, though, is we have a really strong relationship with our city, with the folks that live in our city, and that's meaningful to us. We have partnered with a lot of folks to build parts of our city throughout you know, various parts of Cincinnati's history, and we're proud of that and really have enjoyed that relationship. So one of the practical ways that we engaged and is reflected in the environment that we're creating is there is a hanging sculpture from the ceiling. And to design that sculpture, the artists that we engaged with basically polled social media for the levels of engagement with certain hashtags, with certain terms, things like collaboration, community, innovation, connection, and took those and superimposed them into essentially an aggregate, not grid, but an aggregate line that told like what periods of time were those hashtags being hit really hard? What periods of time did they dip? And then that created the framework for the sculpture. That is a physical reflection of what's being talked about in our community. Some people might say, well, when is a moment in time or a series of moments in time? But the truth is, when are we not talking about collaboration? I mean, when was the last time? I mean, we've, we've all in this podcast spent a lot of time in workplace. When was the last time you didn't hear anybody talking about collaboration? Yes. And and more so now during a quarantine, you know, it's like, how do you inspire folks to collaborate? And what are the things that are suffering? We will always probably talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Collaboration, connection, community. I mean, these, these are things that we talk about because they're important and they're universally important and they're, they're enduringly important. Again, it sounds like, though, you viewed this project, yes, it's a fifth third project, but it belongs to the city as well. So bringing them into part of the conversation, Chris, was that challenging at all with the level of engagement that was required to make these kind of decisions? It was surprisingly well received. And I don't mean that in that I think it was a bad project or a bad design. It just you, you go into those conversations with just given the proximity and the importance of where and knowing that anytime we want to reimagine those kinds of spaces, that it's almost always hit with some level of, of tension or negative response. But that never happened. It never happened. Now, certainly there were some things that they were very interested in us taking a closer look at and making improvements to, and, and we were very open to those ideas insofar as we felt was appropriate for what we were trying to do or fifth third, but we had a number of presentations to neighborhood groups, to community groups that are, are centralized downtown. You know, you just, you expect that it's going to be a whirlwind of, you can't do this to my fountain square. And it, it never happened. It validated for me that we had approached the project in the right way. And we and the communication was handled in the right way as well, that we're not taking, we're giving. And, you know, I think that city officials equally saw it as an opportunity to, to make some improvements. So there were some challenges that we had to overcome. For as complicated as that property is from a layering and sandwiching, we know that it's the fountain and a plaza, but underneath it is a parking garage. It also is Fifth Third's basement, also any number of utilities, this, that, and the other thing. But from a legal perspective, rights away, easements, 
paper streets, paper alleys, all of these things that we had to work through with the city in order to, to make sure that we were all on the same page. It was a very long process. We had meetings with the mayor, we had meetings with the city manager, and meetings with various council groups. And it was, first of all, extremely fascinating to see that process unfold. But to see Fifth Third's dedication to seeing the project through and seeing the cooperation and collaboration with the city was, was pretty amazing. Thanks for that, Chris. I wanted to ask you about the extension of the Fifth Third Convergence Team. So like, what is the Fifth Third Convergence Team? How did you extend it? And what was the impact on the design and the project delivery? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that because I believe I have one of the best teams in the world at BHDP. And so the Convergence Team is an interdisciplinary team of designers and architectural professionals who come to the table all together at once with client representatives on my internal team, and we do the work together. Part of why we do the work together is because I'm, I'm a designer by trade, and I'm just never going to take my hands completely out of the design work because I like it. But I'm really thankful for the way that the team is structured. It does a couple things. One, it makes design work very efficient because it's all happening at the same time. So it's not the architectural team handing something off to the interiors team who's handing something off to the graphics team. Everybody's working together and seeing all the same things at the same time. It's also a team that approaches client work with a lot of humility. And that word comes up again, but it's really important to me. And I think it's a really important concept in design that's not practiced as widely or with the level of depth that it could be. And so the idea of design with humility means that this team comes to the table every day knowing that there are things they don't know. There are things that they can't know. And I think as designers, we can have a lot of confidence, a little bit of swagger maybe even. We have good ideas. They're well-informed. We're well-educated professionals and we're good at what we do. But there are some things that we don't know. And so you have to test and try and, and, and learn as you go. And it's really important to be aware of that. So the Convergence team working on this project was critical to creating a full experience. We talk about the Convergence team. We talk about interdisciplinary design delivery and there are people that look at me and say, well, you know, that's not really a thing. And I can't understand how design work gets done without that being a thing. And there are a lot of teams who struggle to fully understand, number one, how do you really deliver in an integrated way? And number two, how do you really co-create with a client? Gone are the days of design teams like dressed in black looking cool yes and going away and the client going yeah we don't really know what they do but when they come back it's going to be cool the mystery has to come out of it because somebody's writing a check we don't write checks for mystery it's a powerful way to do design work i think the co-creation with the client is critical and i certainly have very strong opinions about that even to the extent that i would say that firms that don't continue their depth of understanding and how to do that may in the coming decade start to struggle. We don't write checks for mystery. I like that. So I want to ask Chris about designing with humility. What's it like designing with humility? Like what's that experience? Because you had to work with teams that weren't BHDP teams as well. So uh, how do you keep your egos in check? We have the benefit of working with a very youthful team. I don't know that there's anybody on our team with the exception of myself and, and Sir Patrick, who has been with the firm or really working for more than, I'll say, six to seven years. 
So there's a lot of youth. And, and while I think that that sometimes can get us in trouble from an ego perspective, the team was learning as we were doing this. We've requested that of our team to say, look, you got to look at everything with open eyes. We don't know everything. We're going to learn as we go through this process. We know what's best because we've agreed to it and we've collaborated on what the solution should be. And we just got to do everything we can to get it there. We need to make sure that at all times we're balancing the needs of the client, the needs of the project, and that's vital. It doesn't matter what I want. It's that we're successful in the eyes of the client because we've delivered what they needed. What we determined at the onset was was vital for success in that particular project. It, it certainly helps to have a client who understands that you're going to miss the mark from time to time, right? We're not always going to be perfect, even when we're doing our best. So there's a comfort level that we have that we can throw ideas out there, we can talk about them, and we're not going to get smacked around because they were wrong or because they were just totally out off base. It makes it fun. It keeps it fun. It keeps it lively, but it keeps us grounded at the same time. Yeah, that's interesting. You talk about not getting smacked around. You know, that's the difference between is it a <laughs> failure or a, or a discovery? Like, right. oh, you did a bad thing and I'm going to constantly remind you or, well, we learned that doesn't work. Let's try right. something else. You know, you know, that, it's 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 fascinating. We have a catalog of of EGD ideas, right? There's probably hundreds of them now that it was kind of the, let's take it a little bit further. Let's stretch it this time, right? Okay, maybe it was a little bit too far, but let's come back to that someday, right? Maybe we'll get there. And I think that's true for a lot of what we do with to third. Well said. So, Valerie, you said earlier, it's not open yet. When will it open? What's opening day? So it is scheduled to open spring of 2021, which is fast approaching. That sounds like a, a ways off, but it's not. It's a blink. Well, everything sounds far away when time has slowed down in COVID, <laughs> right. but also sped up at the same time. It's a yes. bizarre It is very, but yes, we're in a little bit of a warp right now, aren't we? <laughs> I would agree. So my last question, and then feel free to share whatever you think we should know. Were there any big aha moments or big discoveries during this process because this is a pretty big endeavor to you know impact such a public facing space there were ahas all along the way i mean we did some things that because of the scope and scale of this project that i've never done we went on a glass safari <laughs> um, what? you know where we had to make a decision about the glass to use and i had to make a call and so chris took me around the city looking at different options to say you know Here's how it looks in the light. Here's the level of transparency. Here's how it looks from a structure perspective in terms of how we have to hold this glass up. And do you want that? And there are certainly little things like that, that when you do a project that, like this, you go, well, I've never been on a glass safari before. That was kind I've of interesting and fun. never um, so, Did you have a pith helmet and khaki yeah, you know, like cargo I pants? And I don't remember. I don't remember. But it was it, it, it was good. It was good. I mean, it's it's all learning, right? When you do things that are of a scope and scale that you've never done before, there's a lot of learning. Chris, how about you? I'll go back to, to the community engagement process. Not that I wasn't optimistic about how that process was going to go. I just didn't think it was going to go as well as it did. And, you know, I think that you talk about civic projects or, or those which have such a strong presence in the eye of the community. I thought we were going to hit more resistance and that they were going to be heavy handed in what they wanted us to do. But I was pleasantly surprised that I was wrong. 
And again, it's a testament to how well prepared the team was in that communication with the city. So the result of that being one, but I also think just the process by which we needed to go to do it, you know, certainly it was complex and it was, we met a lot of very important people, but you know, it's one of those things that I feel personally, I'm, I'm certainly more equipped to handle something like that in the future. That was definitely one for me. Thanks, Chris. Valerie, any final thoughts? Brian, I will go back to the convergence team a little bit in this design with humility approach. There are a couple things that I would share, and we could do an entire podcast about design with humility. But Chris talked a little bit about the use of our team. One of the assets that they bring with them is they are so teachable. I mean, they're so willing to listen. Good listening is a hallmark of design with humility. I mean, this team listens to my face. <laughs> it, they see a facial expression and they go, mm, I think there was something there and we need to respond. So, but there's also a, a, a level of teachability that on the client's part, I mean, I remember one interaction with somebody on the team where we reviewed something and, and I gave some feedback and she responded to me separately and said, you know, thanks for the art direction. I really needed that. And I kind of thought, I had no idea I had art direction skills. Wow, that's pretty cool. I guess that is what that was. There's kind of a mutual learning. I think that sometimes, and Chris, you can verify this, but it's probably harder to design for a client who has a design background because there are things that client knows and, and opinions that they have that are informed in a different way than what some other clients have. I think the flip side of that is, Sometimes you have an advocate from the client perspective in a way that you may not without that design background. So the convergence team, it's critical to the work that we do. And the way we're doing that work is growing all of us professionally, which is really exciting. It's another reason why I cannot encourage that approach enough in the industry at large. The other thing I would say about design with humility is I love our tribe. I love the design and architecture industry. There is some prima donna behavior spirit in our industry in the design with a capital D industry. Mm -hmm. I have been really fortunate in my career to have almost a half a dozen projects now where I have brought together partners from multiple architectural firms to work together on the same project, not as subordinates, but as equals in their contributions. That's not common. It is common to do that in terms of like architect of record versus design architect, those kinds of relationships, but you don't pull that off unless you get people that will come to the table with some humility and ready to do the best thing for the client. There are firms who do project work, who you look at that project work and you know what firm did it. I do not view that as a designer or as a client as a positive thing. That to me is the degree to which they did not listen to the client. It is the client's project first. And when you have teams that know that and are willing to design that way, it's not as hard to pull that off. With strategy and change management, the best we can hope for on our side is to work ourselves out of a job, you know, because we start out trying to help them understand what the story is. And once it becomes their story and they start telling it more and they start believing it more, then the project is more successful, you know, so you kind of have to work yourself out of a job if you're doing it right. 
Valerie, it is always delightful to talk to you. And Chris, I'm glad you came for the first time because it's nice to see your face again. And, I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, thank you both for coming. Hopefully you had fun. I can't wait to come down and see it when it's finished. I'll be there spring of 2021 for sure. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, Connecting to Community with Fifth Third Bank with guests Valerie Garrett, Director of Workplace Design for Fifth Third Bank, and Chris Collett, a Senior Architect for Workplace at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.